Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, welcome to the Depre and Club podcast, a community of like-minded young adults who are all grieving a similar loss. I'm Catherine Hooker and I speak with inspirational people from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. In this podcast, our guests will tell their own grief story, discussing how their losses have impacted their lives and the past they found themselves on. We laugh, we cry, but together we've come to realise that we are far from alone in our own grief journeys. I went to a counsellor with a little cut on my arm. And you think, oh, they put a plaster over that. And they don't, they get some pliers and they rip it open. Mm. And they go, right, let's have a look what's in there. And it's a massive wound. You don't get it. Slowly but surely, they'll stitch it up and they'll clean it out and they'll help you to crack on. I found counselling really, really helpful because it just helped me to share it with somebody that I trusted, somebody qualified, um, and to understand my grief and to understand my grief journey and to understand that my grief journey won't always be the same. You learn to cope. Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast. So this week we have football commentator, marathon runner and DPC member Ian Stringer on the podcast alongside my lovely friend and fellow TV and radio presenter Emma Jones who you'll recognise from some of our previous episodes. Ian takes us through his life journey from making the difficult decision to leave the care of his mum to live with his dad to then having to keep his own children away from their grandmother and distancing himself due to the constant battle she fought with alcoholism. You can really hear his process in this episode from being quite detached from his mum when he found out she'd passed due to the difficult relationship they had, to rediscovering the love he has for her and the memories he has of his mum from the times that she was sober, and how he continues to struggle with the impacts of his grief. Before we start this week's episode, many of you will know that I run this podcast in my spare time outside of my full-time job, and for the first one and a half years, I funded it solely out of my own pocket. So hesitantly, I set up a GoFundMe page, and I received literally like an amazing response and I raised enough money to keep the podcast running for another year um however I'm at a point again now where I need to think about its future and its sustainability so if you would like to support the continued running of the podcast I would love it if you would please consider signing up as a patron um you can submit a monthly amount that like suits you literally anything from just like one dollar a month will be a huge help the money raised will go towards the running of the podcast and paying for various services to keep it online like for marketing purposes and platforms and i am really blessed to know that this has been a a huge support for so many people and i would love to keep it running for as long as i can so any support would be 
greatly appreciated and thank you so so much in advance. So without further ado let's jump right into this week's episode with Ian. My name's Ian, I am a football commentator for the BBC. I get paid to have a big gob <laughs> which thankfully uh, I'm pretty good at having a big mouth um, which I get from my late mother, God rest her soul. So I get paid to follow football around uh, the Premier League, around the world. I follow one club in particular, I follow Leicester City. Um, so a few years ago, that was quite an interesting experience when I won the Premier League. Um, and I'm a boy of Leicester, so I'm one of those rare people actually who I follow the club that as a boy I supported. Oh. Now, in my job, can't support them. Um, as you may see over my shoulder, my young son does with his uh, bed sheets. Oh. My family do, uh, but I can't now because of my job. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a football commentator um, and part-time event host as and when required. Oh. You- do you love what you do, Ian? Oh, don't do a day's work. Don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> hey, we're all keeping it quiet. We're all. <laughs> there's, there's not many better jobs than than the job I have, and and Emma. Obviously, we share uh, a similar job, certainly in in the same industry, and and we're at the same game, doing different jobs, of course. So you know uh, better than most that, that the job that we do is is just incredible. It's a blessing, and actually, what's happened in the last few months if we needed it already um, is a real realization that what we do is, is a true blessing. Like you said there, Ian, you know, last few months have shown us how, how lucky and fortunate we are to do a job that we love, but we don't really call a job. Hmm. How have you found isolation um, mentally? How have I found isolation up and down? Having had COVID, um, that's affected me quite a lot. I had it really early. Um, and I didn't know what it was initially. I had a pain in my chest and um, I, I got a bit concerned because I had a pain in my chest. You know, you do if you have a pain in your chest, don't you? And, um, and it was really quite new. It was like early, mid-March. Anyway, I got over that. But since that, that's affected me quite a lot mentally, like with the virus in mind, because it's killing people. And why am I the lucky one that it hasn't? Mm. Why am I part of the lucky ones it hasn't? And it has taken other people's lives. I suppose you feel quite blessed then to have recovered from that especially being a dad yourself but it must make you feel really it must be really painful thinking about all the other dads out there who have who have lost their lives to it and have left their their kids I bet. yeah exactly and a few of them young as well um you know initially we thought it was a virus that that was taking the elderly and, and nobody wants that anyway i'm still lucky enough to have my man and granddad alive who are my children's great grand and granddad oh. um so yeah, initially you're like, yeah, it's it's affecting people who are vulnerable, and then you hear stories of it's affecting people that aren't as vulnerable, and then the social media, and social media will find that one story in 150,000 of a yeah. uh, a 19 year old triathlete, yeah. and you read that, and you don't read the 189,999 survivors, and you think that could be me, yeah, and then you start thinking, and, and what you say is absolutely true that I asked my mum. I don't want my kids to be without their dad. Cause that's the thing you don't get when you're a parent, right? You go through, you go through pregnancy together and labor and you think, Oh, what if the cord gets stuck around their neck? And then you think, Oh, we've got through that happy days playing sailing. No, cause then they got to eat and then they got to walk and then they're near roads. And then, and then what you don't get, this is what you don't get. I think you don't understand the reliance on you. Mm. And the loss of my mother made me realize that, that, my mother had a duty to hang around for me. Mm. 
like because she's my mum. Like, so you guys know what it's like to be without a parent. I don't want my kids to be without a parent. And like, I'm sitting there with this disease, this virus, thinking, well, there's no cure for it. There's no vaccine for it. And it seems like roller six to see how well you do. Mm. So it wasn't the most pleasant experience, no. But touch wood, <laughs> seem all right. Do you, do you think, Ian, that you, because of your experience losing your mum, that that is why you are more concerned about ever leaving your children? Definitely. Definitely, because of the nature of my mum's death, which I'm sure we'll we'll get onto at some stage. But um, yeah, and like you try and get a really close bond with your kids, of course you do, but actually you're setting yourself up for their pain when you go because you don't know you're gone. This and and this is a weird death chat, but I'm so pleased I'm on this with you guys because yeah. you guys get it, and like so hopefully other people will get it. But like that's it, game over. You don't get to knock on the coffin and go, hang about a second. I just <laughs> wait, wait, wait. need to get this done. Yeah, didn't get the hoovering done. Can I just, you can't, you can't go and tell your kids this or, but they're then without you. And you don't know how they're getting on because you're brown bread, as my mum used to say. Um, she did. Uh, she was a colourful character. And well, yeah, I suppose we should probably go into that then. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing your own personal experience with the loss of your mum. Yeah. Um, my mother was an alcoholic. And as a young child was the victim of domestic violence. Uh, my dad was in the army. Uh, they split when I was young. I lived with my mum forever until I was 13. And, there was a, and, and it was, a lot of it was alcohol induced both ways. She wasn't an angel, by the way. She had a decent hook and I saw it a few times. Thankfully, not on me, uh, but on other people. Um, it, it's not big, it's not clever. This is my mum in a nutshell. We lived in a council house. I don't want a badge. Nobody wants a badge for living in a council house as a kid. That's what we did. Um, she came home with a black eye this one morning. I said to her, Mum, what's wrong? Did you get that eye? She went, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. She had a pint of milk in her hand. Uh, she put the milk in the fridge and I had my breakfast and cracked on. And I found out that she'd she'd stolen the milk from the neighbor um because we had no milk we hadn't we had we couldn't eat uh, and that's not a sob story it is a fact uh, it was just me and her and she was struggling she it was an overlocker so your gloves when you wear some gloves there's a hem and that needs overlocking round and that's what she did she would have a machine at home and she'd pennies and and we were great then and then we moved because she fell in love again um and i moved away when i was 13 and i went to live with my dad um and my mum my mum got worse from there. I've got a brother and sister that stayed at home. The domestic violence got worse. Eventually she split from her husband and she tried to go it alone. But the drinking got worse and worse and worse. Um, and she was an alcoholic and um, we all tried to help her. We all did. I always try and explain it by saying, like, imagine a hundred meter track at school or an athletics track. And she had seven sisters and brothers and three kids. And there's 10 of us. Line us all up on the finish line. Every one of us said to her, she's at the start line. You take one step, one step away from the alcohol. Just tell us you want to do it. One step. And we will sprint 99 meters to you. Mm. No problem. And hold your hand. And unfortunately, she, she didn't do that. Um, again, counselling has helped me realise that that wasn't a decision. Initially, I was really angry. I don't drink. I've never drunk. Um, I didn't know why until I was about 30. I had no idea why. 
And then one day I realised hmm, it might be because of this. And when I say never, I mean never, yeah. ever, ever. Um, and two or three years before she died, I made the decision to not allow my children to see her. Um, and I saw her because I didn't want them growing close to her. Um, so I took the decision to not take my son and daughter at the time to go and see her. I still saw her, but not regularly. And in 2016, an incredible year in my life, in my work, uh, Leicester City just won the Premier League, which was a 5,000 to one story that, that had never happened and will never happen again. It won't. <laughs> and my little city was at the heart of every new story around the world. And in the May, May the 2nd, they won it. May the 7th, they lifted the trophy. And, do you know, weirdly, my son on about May the 7th or 8th, Owen, my 13-year-old son, he said to me in the car, Daddy, where's, where's your mummy? Just asked about my mum. So I texted my uncle because my mum had moved out to the East Coast and said, have you seen my mum recently? And actually in my text, I say, is she still alive? Um, my sister called me in late June 2016. And she said to me, I need you to sit down. I thought she's either pregnant or mum's died. Mm. Do you know, I'd gone out of my way to call my mum's local doctor and say, put me down as a next of kin because I don't want anybody calling my sister when my mum dies. If, when. And they called my sister. And she said, sit down, mum's died. And you know, instantly I was cool. I was like, all right, I'm bothered. That didn't bother me. I've separated from her emotionally. I'm not connected to that woman anymore at all. Crack on. Literally put the phone down, had some dinner, cracked on. Um, but it gets a little more complicated than that because she was living in a sheltered home in Lincoln on her own. Um, this is a bit that hurts the most. She'd been there for seven weeks. She hadn't been discovered. She'd fallen in the bathroom or she'd had a heart attack or she'd had a brain hemorrhage or she'd had a stroke. We don't know. Mm. The coroner's report, clearly there wasn't enough of her seven weeks later to do any detailed analysis. Um, she'd been there for seven weeks. Now, it hurts me to my very core that I wasn't there to pick her up. And I couldn't be because I'd had to separate because she was an alcoholic and she was abusing a lot of the things that I was doing to try and help. But I'm the eldest child. I felt I should have been there to help her. And then the longer it's gone, the more and more the grief has been very difficult for me. We, it took an odontologist two times to identify her, mm -hmm. to identify her by dental records. I had to remember the dentist for them to go to the dentist and get the dental records. I had to remember where her gold tooth was. She oh. got it as a freebie from the uh, from the financial <laughs> position she, we were in. She would just say to me, when we get low on money, son, I'll rip this out and we'll flog it. Um, and her gold tooth ultimately identified her. and We buried her, which, well, we created her. And that's, that pleases me most, that I was able to carry her in Mm. Me and her brothers, we cremated her and and she's passed and then there was an autopsy and uh, there was a post-mortem. How well, long ago was this? My mum passed away. Uh, if you look at her death certificate, it will tell you that she passed away on a late June, the 28th of June, 2016. Yeah. However, um, I've been in a flat and 
it didn't take Einstein or the world's greatest journalist. But when I got possessions back in a pocket, there was a receipt for two bottles of wine costing £10 and there was £90 in a pocket. And there was a £100 withdrawal on the 4th of May. So she hit the deck on the 4th of May. And God rest her soul, she won't mind me for saying this, but City won the Prem on the 2nd. So she had 48 hours of knowing that her crappy little football club she supported as a, a young girl. So that was that was a little crumb of comfort, but she passed away, buried her on July the 16th, 17th. It was about four years ago. And obviously, you know, if it's all right with you, we, we want to talk about the counselling thing in a minute because I know that that it's helped me massively as well having therapy but um i mean it's such an unusual and heartbreaking circumstance yours mm. what are your feelings towards it if you're if you look within yourself and you're absolutely asked mm. what are your feelings towards your mum the situation your childhood and where you're at now um i see my mum as jekyll and hyde I'm all right with, with her. I believe she was possessed. I believe she had a disease, um, and that was an addiction to alcohol. Um, she was an incredible mother when she was sober, Emma. Honestly, she, would, she went to the neighbour and nicked their milk and got a black eye for it so that she could feed her son. That is a mother's instinct. Listen, don't, nick, don't steal kids. It's not cool. Don't <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't endorse it at all. But she, she doted on us when she was sober. She would always make sure that we were fed, clothed, at school, back. She was a disciplinarian. She was strict. And she's mm. taught me a lot. The, do you know, the, the greatest positive I draw from my mother has been her parenting skills when she was sober. And I have chosen to take the positives from that and put them into my father's father skills and not go use any negatives. I don't drink and I'm pretty strict with my kids. Fair, but mm. I don't really let them get away with a great deal. You haven't been interested in take a mile. <laughs> yeah, correct. And that's true. Uh, particularly in 2020 when there's a lockdown and anything yeah. goes, really. Um, <laughs> uh, but I don't blame her, to answer your question, Emma. I don't blame her. Um, I, I enjoyed our relationship. I missed her. I saw her as possessed. Um, do you know, I often go, no, I don't often. I do it once a year. And I'll look at the last messages I sent my mum. You guys ever do that? Oh, yeah. All the time. My mum's last message to me was in 2015, the year before she died. She said, happy birthday, son. I hope you have a lovely day. Uh, and I replied and said, thank you. Please get better. I want my real mum back. Aww. So that is how I felt and feel about my mum. That I knew she, there was 1% chance that she'd get better. Yeah. And she didn't. Um, how do I feel about her now? I miss her a lot. Because my dad lives abroad as well. My dad lives in Thailand, and um, if there was ever a time that a boy needs his mum, uh, it's whilst all this is going on, just so that she can go. You're doing a decent job with those kids as a kid. You're doing all right. I miss her. I miss the real mum. I miss the unpossessed mum without alcohol. At what point did you decide to seek counselling? Like, do you speak quite openly about that? Um, yeah, with your friends and the people around you in your workplace and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty open. Um, I was actually already seeing a relationship counsellor um, with a charity called Relate. 
and they they're really incredible people at relate because they they try and help you deal with you because if you can deal with you then you can deal with anybody and anything yeah and um i needed to see a counselor about different things and i was seeing a counselor at the time and and i reconnected with that counselor um you know you go to a camp i found my view i went to a counselor with a little cut on my arm and you think oh they put a plaster over that and they don't they get some pliers and they rip it open mm. and they go right let's have a look what's in there and it's a massive wound you don't get it slowly but surely they'll stitch it up and they'll clean it out and they'll help you to crack on i found counseling really really helpful because it just helped me to share it with somebody that I trusted, somebody qualified, um, and to understand my grief and to understand my grief journey and to understand that my grief journey won't always be the same. You learn to cope. Mm. You don't get over it. You lie on the beach and the waves sometimes, some days are big and they go over you. But you've just got to remember that wave is going to recede. It's going to go back. I'm going to sit back up in a minute and the beach will be beautiful. But there are going to be some big waves at times. So if you guys had counselling. Yeah, I, I had uh, I had therapy in exactly the same way you've described. Um, you know, you go in and they basically, you know, you're aware that there's going to be something there that needs to be dealt with, but I don't think you're quite aware of the scope and depth of it until they start pulling it apart, like you said. And actually, the pain that you experience when you're in that room and you're breaking down and talking to that person is the grief and the healing, the healing that you do to an extent when you're in there, isn't it? Absolutely right. But you've got to go through it. It's just about understanding, isn't it? It's about having a level of understanding. Um, um, you, you speak so openly, Ian. It's amazing. And I genuinely, you know, I'm sure you have already inspired particularly men be open about their grief you work um in a predominantly male environment have you found that your experience has almost um driven you well firstly driven you more to do more with your life to make sure that you're doing what makes you happy and also have you found that it's enabled you to help people who otherwise maybe wouldn't move forward and talk about things so openly um i got criticized pretty early for sharing what i did and in the manner i did um i wrote a <clears throat> i wrote a letter to mom um as part of a blog post that i i published and i got a bit of criticism for that like why would you want to share that well actually sharing that number one it helps me and number two if there's somebody else and a few people contacted me at the time um and said actually alcohol's affected me and my parents in this way and you feel a tremendous sense of giving if your experience can help other people mm. um and other things other things you know there's we talked earlier didn't we about the the great parts of of our job and how lucky we are and what we get to do one of the toughest parts was um at the post-mortem it's an open it's an open court and uh reporters can often sit in there and, and did on this occasion and um the story of of my mum's passing was picked up by by national newspapers and i'm all right with kind of you know our job sometimes comes with a profile i hate that word but you kind of try and deal with it and crack on and 
when they're talking about your mum, mm. when it's you, you're right. But it's then sensitive. there's the comments. And idiots like me, I spent 10 minutes when it first hit, I thought, and I read a few of the what a disgusted son, what an embarrassment, who'd leave his mum on a concrete floor for seven weeks. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, but, but you know, and amongst all of that, one of the real pod things was somebody who works for an alcohol charity posted in there as well um, and posted something anonymously to the effect of, actually, Ian's followed a lot of the advice that we, we would give mm. in that he separated himself because you'll only put you and your family through a lot of that so to kind of get back to the question I mean yeah the, there's the, there's a difficult side of our industry that kind of they came after me really and it's easy to write when you don't understand there's a human behind yeah. it and particularly you don't understand the story you know believe me I tried with my mum all brothers and sisters did I'd have I'd give anything as you two would mm. give anything right now you're right, as a man, I've not found too many people really speak about death too much. Um, but And the nature of my mum's death is, is difficult. Mm. But most of the people within the industry that I work have been really, really helpful. A f- mm. few comments I'll never forget uh, for the right and wrong reasons. But yeah, mainly when they were allowed back in the day, I got some nice man cuddles, which is, which is mm. helpful. I can't help but feel that you are the person you are which I know Kat will agree with me even just talking to you now now you can tell you are deeply feeling deeply humble and very understanding of yourself very self-aware and understanding of who you are and you know that has clearly come as a result of experiences um, throughout your childhood into adulthood and ultimately resulting in the the loss of your mum if you could go back in time to young Ian because say there's somebody out there right now listening and this this could help them what would you say to him about your life your future don't feel selfish for looking after yourself I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Don't feel selfish for neglecting your siblings as you're looking after yourself. Because ultimately, you're a child. And a child deserves a few things. A child deserves safety. A child deserves love. But care for you. Because... Caring for you now will care for you in 30, 40, 50 years. Mm. And in 30, 40, 50 years, you might be a parent. 
you might be a grandparent and you might have responsibilities at work whereby you've got younger staff looking up to you if you're a more stable person because of that decision you make as a young being then you might be able to help people you might be able to mentor people at work you might be able to pair people you get it wrong but look for safety if there's an option of safety take it but more importantly than that it would be that none of this is your fault mm-hmm. you've done nothing wrong you're a child um and my mum lived in a women's refuge for quite a while and they founded this place in this flat in lincoln little a little concrete box on the ground floor of a place in lincoln we went in to clean it out and and my mum was very very house proud um, but it was soulless mm. it was just soulless it was concrete it was gray it was brown it was beige it was there was no love there was no soft furnishings there was it was the salvation army had clearly helped her mm. and listen she'd get back on her feet she she tried but she was possessed and you know the thing i remember and it's actually i think it's in this room it's a little shoe box and it's pink and it was in her room it was in her kitchen and in amongst all of this gray stuff was this pink box and it stuck out it's got the word love on the front and in it is her mobile phone and yes i've read the messages in it and in it there was a note and like an idiot i sat there and read the note can i read you it yeah absolutely it'll give you an insight into my mother christy davis god rest her soul Born 1960, December 13th. It's written in a crayon. This was written at a, uh, a crisis group. She was going to a crisis group. Uh, two months premature. Two months in an incubator. Dad died when I was two. Didn't know him. I remember his bed in the lounge. He smoked himself to death. Had my appendix out when I was five. I didn't know that until she died and I read this. Uh, terrible time in hospital. Loved junior school. Had great holidays with my siblings. Yarmouth, Skegness. No person of Leicester hates Skegness. It's like I was I hated senior school, especially the maths teacher. I'm not going to name her. Fear of libel. Hence, I'm, I'm crap at maths. Got married in church. Son Ian, born four years later, who's given me two grandchildren. Lyle came next 10 years later as I remarried. I'm not going to name her former partner. Amber, my sister, was next. Her birthday today. I've had this note for four years and I've just realised what date she wrote it, uh, which I, I didn't know. Moved into this, uh, uh, moved to the seaside, bought my own mobile home, loved it, sold it, moved in with a person, terrible time, violent. Met an individual, moved in with him, uh, more violence. Moved to a refuge, they got me a flat in Lincoln City Centre. I love it on my own, I feel loads better. Pottering around the shops and the market. I feel better with the help of the SAFE programme. This is clearly the crisis people that are helping her. I want to see more of the kids and the grandkids. Tree climber and scrumper. Love my casual clothes. Must finish the decorating. That is so precious. Oh my God. I want to hug you. (laughs) And I found that the, the day that we the day that we cleared out a flat and amongst all the crap that was going on it was that thank you so much for sharing that with us that's literally a snapshot into her just like so you know sober like and all of the thoughts and all of her memories and stuff that's so beautiful and she sounds like a wonderful woman as well she was 
she was uh, when she wanted to be. Yeah. There's good memories, you know, and counselling, um, you asked earlier on, counselling's helped me to cling on to those. Mm. The negative ones will always be there, but... I think that's yeah. one of the hardest things a lot of people that are in the midst of grief, I know that I'm, I was very bad for it, you automatically think of the bad things they're the first mm-hmm. things that come to your mind when you think of that person and it actually takes a lot of work to start you know accepting all the happy memories that you actually shared as well and trying to kind of and that it's okay to remember those as well yeah yeah grief is hard work definitely and it never stops does it no no and then there's a global pandemic that's killing people and you wonder what if my kids get it mm. What if I get it? What if other important people get it? What if my dad, who's my only parent left, gets it? Mm. And then you've got to cope with, got to cope with all that. But I've found sharing has been really good for me. It's been really positive for me. And whether it's writing to her, whether it's talking to a counsellor, talking to you guys, um, I just find it really helpful sharing. You know, you sh- you sharing. Um will have helped so many more people than I think you probably realise. Yeah. You've helped me. Just listen to you. I swear you've helped me just listening mm. to you. That is like the impact of what an hour's worth of conversation with you. So you talking publicly, privately, wherever it may be, I guarantee even, you know, there's going to be people who will tell you you've helped them, but there'll be far more people who won't and who you have. Yeah, definitely. That click, that. That's pleasing because, um, particularly with alcohol, I don't want people to be teetotal. Go and have a drink, go and enjoy yourselves. Christmas party, whatever, Friday night, Saturday night, especially when all this finishes. Happy days, I'm not against alcohol. It's brilliant. Mm. I mean, I encourage my, my daughter, if she wants a little tipple at dinner, <laughs> go for it. That's all right, a little glass of wine. I wouldn't know what to buy, i give it a go. <laughs> the way I go is the more expensive, the better, right? That's, yeah. that's what I try. It, incidentally, she didn't have liver cancer she it, she didn't mm. we don't know what ultimately that it was years later that we died, she died and uh we don't know what took her we've no mm. idea but you know my my dad made me laugh because I've, I've spoken to my dad a lot um and he said to me i, I was like dad my mum was on a concrete floor for seven weeks in the summer and i wasn't there to pick her up mm. that's my duty as a son it's my duty as as a significant man in her life because she'd not have great relationships with men yeah son and a significant man to have picked her up even in death and what hurts me dad is that what if she was needed help Mm -hmm. if she was on the floor and she was conscious Mm -hmm. and he said to me and you know the funny things that sometimes get you through or got me through he said to me son know your mum she had the biggest gob you've ever known she needed help she'd have called somebody for help and you worry about that she'd have been fine and it made me laugh at the time i was like yeah, do you know uh, actually it's fair enough um <laughs> yeah so there's there's some things that can make me smile and do make me smile i throw everything into into trying to be a parent ian um feel free to you know decline answering this but I'm interested because you know when we when we discuss death we talk about the person we talk about the person that's path obviously mm. but in your circumstance and in many other there are other people around um and obviously mum having a series of you know violent relationships mm. how do you feel towards the other people 
who impacted your mum's life? Um, how do I feel about them? I yeah, I'm just gutted that none of them put their arm around her and went, "Come on, let's 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 have a go at, at seeing if we can get some help for you and for me." Yeah, and and I don't blame them for not. Um, do you know what? Uh, something I discussed at length with my counsellor is I, I said to my counsellor, "I don't understand why I'm not an alcoholic. I don't understand why I don't drink. I don't understand why." I would run a thousand miles before I lifted a hand to a woman. Mm. I don't understand why I'm why I'm like that because all I've not all I've seen, but what I saw in my childhood all was drink. Know. I won't yeah. go near it. I will not go near it on my wedding day. I had a glass of coke and a champagne flute. Hey, can't go. <laughs> yeah, it was cheaper. Um, she wasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like violence i i i'm not a violent person and just trying to understand that kind of t-junction you go that way rather than going the easy way that is signposted and and you think and i've still not quite understood that you know i mean you talked about the the partners and and whether i uh how i feel towards them i'm all right i'm okay but i don't understand why i've not followed that path i'm pleased they haven't but mm. something somewhere, and you know, maybe it was that decision when I was 13 to go and live with my dad and my stepmom. I love my stepmom to pieces. Um, and what a, what, a, what a woman she's been to me. Um, I, I didn't realise that you, you know, you had a stepmom. Um, how, how has that relationship been? Has it been very sort of, has it been very smooth? How's it been, you know, since losing your mum? What, what's the dynamic like there? She's tremendously supportive. Um, I met her when I was a young boy. I met her in Leicester when I was four or five. She's a really good listener. Probably the most influential person on my life outside of my family is a a reverend, um, a football club rev. And most football clubs have a chaplain. And this particular chaplain, his name's Richard Gamble. Um, He has taught me the power of listening. And my stepmom is a great listener. And Richard, the rev, will listen and listen and listen and not judge art of listening and care and my stepmom is a tremendous listener and she'd get angry if things would happen that wouldn't be great in my life and involve my mum but but she'd support me and dynamics okay she's sorry that I've lost my mum she always held out hope that that my mum would get some help and get some treatment um she's a good woman really good woman she's from Bradford which when you're from Bradford, you drop the D and you put a T in there instead if, you, if you're a local. So she's, um, she's a good Northern Bradford lass with a bit of cork and a bit of cake. Um, and she's, she's a good woman and I, I love her to pieces and I miss her. She's overseas. Um, but yeah, she's good. She's really, really good. Kat, do you want to just jump in the screen and hug him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... Honestly, Ian, you are a wonderful human being. A wonderful yeah, human being. yeah. I I really appreciate you um, taking the time to come onto the podcast as well and to tell your story. Because um, well, thank you for you guys for what you do because I I, I wasn't aware. I, you know, you, you kind of suffer in silence, don't you? You just crack on. You're like, it's my grief. It's my cycle. It's my roller coaster. I'm the only person on it. I'll cling on when I need to, and I'll enjoy the view when I need to. Um, yeah. But. But Emma had been on, and again, because of our profession on social media, I noticed, and, and I was working from home at the start of this pandemic and had a listen and listened into you guys, and I thought, wow, like, these are people that have lost a pen and they're talking, and I get so much of what they're saying. 
Mm. And it's so true. And you're laughing. And I love that. You were like, you were laughing about a dead parent. I was like, listen to these two. <laughs> Giggle up. And then I thought, actually, I do the same. Yeah. You know, Club Tropicana comes on and I turn it up and it's unbelievable. It makes me feel great and I'm positive and I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, they're allowed, they laugh as well. Mm. And so I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful of the invite. And do you know what struck me most, Kat? was when you said you think it would help to have a man speak about grief. Mm. Um, and that was that was pretty powerful actually to me because we're all the same, aren't we? Yeah. You know, the emotions are in there. Yeah. Um, and you gotta let the tap drip. You don't let the tap drip, it's just gonna build up, lads. You know, if it's in there, if it's grief, you got to let that tap drip. Otherwise, it's going to go bang. It will manifest itself somehow else, boys. So, and my counsellor said to me, speaking to anybody helps. Sharing helps. It can be a teddy bear if you want. It can be a tree. I'll go and talk to a tree that we've scattered my mum's ashes at regularly and talk to her, talk to this tree. But please, lads, if, if there are any men listening to this, and whether it's grief, it's addiction, it's a significant thing in your life that you think you require some help with, number one, seeing a counsellor there shouldn't be stigma attached to that because mm -hmm. they will help you they're professional but also turning to somebody you feel you can speak to is really powerful and really important and this is why because they want to listen you think about the love that person has got for you because they have said to you yeah come on if it's for a pint in the booze a happy day if it's going for a walk a coffee whatever but they want to listen to you yeah now they might not be able to help but listeners are so great people because they're devoted time to say, I'm going to listen to you. You yeah. tell me what you want. You show me a tissue box covered <laughs> in pink tissue and a crappy crayon written letter, but I'm going to listen because yeah. it's important to you. So lads need to share more because, because it, it takes, like, if you don't and that tap builds up, that might manifest itself in something else, in your work, in your parenting skills. You might just lose your head a little bit, but if yeah. you've let that tap drip a bit, then there might be a little less stress. Grief load, obviously is, is difficult. The load gets a little bit lighter to carry, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's meant to be the idea, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and grief obviously is a significant event in your life. Ian, thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, really appreciate thank it. Thank you. And good on you, the work you do, because you know, you're talking about a taboo subject and you're brave to do it. And um, uh, if you didn't do it, then we wouldn't be able to listen. So. Thank you. I hope you continue to have a, your definition of success of your content is very different to ours, of course. Um, <laughs> your definition of success is, is for nice stories to be told in a, a way that people are comfortable listening and telling them. Yeah. And you are incredibly successful at that. Thank so, you. Thank you. Um, good on you. You're, you're really compassionate people. And uh, I hope that people get in touch to say thank you because. Oh, yeah. We don't Got a lot of that. <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm glad we yeah. we don't get enough of that these days. You know, people will go, "Oh, that's rubbish. I hate that program." Or that was a rubbish end. I'm going to tweet them because where's rubbish. the positivity? <laughs> When's the last time you tweeted Gary Lineker and went, "Actually, mate, you do a decent job on a Saturday night." <laughs> When's the last time you listened to to Emma Jones on Five Live and went, "You handle that Robbie Savage pretty well. He's got better hair than you, but you handle him pretty well." <laughs> I know Sav pretty well, so I can get away with that. Um, but, yeah, no, let's spread the love. You, you guys do a tremendous job, so good on you. And, and again, if people can 
can share their stories like with anybody then i think it might help and, then, and help help people just be nice yeah you know it's nice that, to be nice isn't it? that is the, the the number one rule i live by just be nice yeah. just be nice to be nice yeah. And you know what, Ian? If Leeds get back to the promised land and we play Leicester, I will share a flute of Coke with you. We'll have a yeah, yeah, baby. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. We'll do that. If we, uh, yeah. If... No, it's nice to be nice, isn't it? And you guys are really nice in what you do. So good on you. And, and I enjoy sharing. I enjoy sharing um, Christine Elizabeth Chadwick's story, wow. her maiden name. She changed it a couple of times. She had a few goes. <laughs> but she was Christine Elizabeth Chadwick, born uh, in Leicester in 1960, and she passed away on May the 4th. I won't say that on her death certificate in 2016. And she was my mum. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast. I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today. As always, I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals. Therefore, if you do find yourself struggling with your grief, I highly recommend that you seek out professional help, whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast, on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club, and you can email us at dpcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where a resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well if coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next week. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.